0: restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned us from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I don't know about you, but there are certain songs that conjure up Christmas memories for me. One of those for me is Charlie Brown's Christmas story. Christmas time is here. You may have heard it, you may have heard of it before. Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, fun for all, that children call their favorite time of the year. But then I open my phone and I see at the top of the feed that there's 44 products and your life is not complete. 44 items in my kitchen and my life is not complete. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, or is it? There's the last-minute presents and the get-togethers and the travel plans during one of the busiest travel seasons. And all these can add up to a tremendous amount of pressure. For some of us who have lost loved ones, Christmas can be a difficult season for recalling memories with our loved ones, perhaps for the very first time. In fact, many people who are otherwise healthy experience what people call the holiday blues between Thanksgiving and Christmas because of the high expectations, opportunities to feel lonely, and the stress. But for the, and that's if you're healthy, for those who have mental illness, about half of them find that the holidays add to their condition in a worse way. There's this tension between this reality that's before us and this Charlie bound Christmas, but if we dig deeper, that gap between reality and the ideal is a longing. It's a longing, it's an indication of our longing for the divine. During the Advent season leading up to Christmas, we're joining with the centuries-old tradition of acknowledging our longings with honesty. And today, we look at the shared longing of, for this blessing and flourishing that is conveyed in the biblical sense of peace. For the Christian and Jewish faiths, peace is not just about the absence of violence and war, but it's about the flourishing of all things in our world and in, uh, and in human experience. It's this flourishing of relationships, of health. It's a flourishing of material wellness. It's a flourishing of our societies and of culture and of all creation. Psalm 85 that we heard Brad just read for us is a prayer. It's a prayer for peace that is envisioned by God for all of creation. And this psalm shows us how we can express our longing in a deeper, more meaningful manner than the beauty pageant answer for world peace. And it's more powerful than the child who wants his parents to stop fighting for Christmas. It's more tangible than, and substantial than what Tiny Tim says at the end of Charles Dickens Christmas story. And God bless everyone. This week, I visited Rod Ismay, one of our longtime members here at WCF in a rehab center. He's recovering from a foot infection. And he's doing well, so thank you for you, those of you who have been praying for him and uh, messaging him and visiting him. And I walked into that lunchroom, where one gentleman was DJing tunes from his laptop, and I came upon Rod having a coffee with one of the other patients in the hospital, someone named Irma. When I sat down to join them, I saw that Irma was just warm and welcoming. But as I looked upon her weathered face, I saw this spark of life in her, even behind those eyes clouded by cataracts. And she went on to explain how she had suffered from vision problems ever since birth and in recent years she had become homeless after her sister had passed away. Yet I was struck by this sense of hope and sense of joy that exuded from her despite a life of hardship that I don't think any one of us would ever choose for ourselves. She stepped away from the conversation and I caught up with Rod. But then I made my way from the room, but not without catching another glimpse of Irma, dancing alone to these tunes going on in the room, full of joy. And we made eye contact, and I said bye and gave each other a smile. There was something about Irma's faith and approach to life. It seemed grounded in a sense of peace and joy that wasn't dependent on her circumstances. I thought, perhaps, as she shared with me, she was able to recall how God had been faithful to her throughout her life. This psalm conveys a sense that things aren't the way that they are expected to be. Reality doesn't line up with the ideal, yet the psalmist opens up this collective prayer with a series of recollections of God's work in the past. The psalmist recalls God's faithfulness in the past in the first three verses. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. In moments of anxiety and trouble, the psalm reminds us that the first step we can take is perhaps to recall what God, who God is and what God has done in the past that he has been faithful to God's people throughout history. And that's why we open our service, and we come together on Sundays with songs of worship that remind us of God's character and activity. We open the service with um, a call to worship, and this call to worship is an invitation to step away from what's consuming us as we pass through those doors, and we step into the truth of who God is. We step away from our what consumes us, and we step into what God has promised to us. Recalling God's promises is not pining past, promise, uh, past promises. Is not pining for past glories. It's not saying, "Well, if only things could be the way they used to be," or "Remember the good old days when." When we recall, in that sense, we are removing ourselves from the present reality that's before us. We're longing for the feeling of those past memories. We're longing for something that we cannot recreate. But instead, here, the kind of recalling demonstrated by this psalmist is where we remember the character and the action of God in those past events. So our recalling is incredibly realistic. It's remembering past mercies that stimulates, stimulates us to prayer rather than merely recalling dreams of days gone by. This kind of recalling pushes us forward rather than backwards. We say, God, you have demonstrated your faithfulness. You have shown up. You've met me in ways that I have not expected. But because of who you are and how you've acted in the past, I realize that now there's more to this story right now. There's more to what's before my eyes. This is not the first time that humans have had to endure hardship. There's something else going on in history. And someone else is at work. Recalling God's favor and fortune of the past enables us to reframe our situations around the hands of the one who holds the whole universe. And the season of Advent is a time for us to pause and to acknowledge that something is awry in our lives, in our, in our world, and to attend to that anxiety by first recalling God's past action. And it's from that place of recalling God's work in the past that we can present our longings with honesty before God. The psalmist continues with four specific requests in verse 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Put away your displeasure towards us. Show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. Restore, put away, show us, grant us. This kind of prayer is not a... Santa's gift list, like Adam adding items to your shopping cart online or adding items into your physical shopping cart. The word rendered restore in verse 4 here, but is also used in verse 1, gives us a sense that life is not the way that we expect it to be. And when the psalmist uses the word salvation in verse 7, salvation comes from the Hebrew word yesh, yesha, it suggests at its basic meaning salvation, but also this sense of bringing into a spacious environment. It suggests a freedom from limitation. There is something that binds, that enslaves, or constrains the people of God from experiencing the fullness of God's blessings and peace. This psalm is a corporate prayer and lament. It's a prayer for a group of people who see things aren't the way they should be. What is, is not what ought to be. What is before them is hardship. What is is shame. What is is a sense of heaviness. And that's all adding to this lack of sense of peace. But lament prayers give us permission to one, acknowledge that we're feeling is real, what we're feeling is real, and two, to bring them before the only being in the universe who's able to do something about them. Recall our message from last week, about our longing for justice in the world. The world is really good at calling out evil and injustice that other people cause. But the Lament Psalm reminds us that everything is broken, including ourselves. The Lament Psalms point out that there's something bent out of shape, not just in the world, but in our very own souls. So requesting things that make us feel happy and feel good isn't going to address the deeply broken things in our world. For instance, what causes a fully grown human being, man who holds the most powerful position in the world, to bully a teenager on Twitter just because she's recognized as the time person of the year? Now, we may not always voice our thoughts publicly, and we may not have 67.5 million followers on Twitter, but I think we have the same movements of a heart. We like to think that we don't have it in us, but that happens to us as well. It's the same thing that happens in our hearts that causes us to react differently to people on the street that have different skin color. We quickly check our valuables and phones if we see one type of person, but we don't do it with others. It's the same internal movement of our hearts that treats certain people with less dignity and less opportunity because of their life experiences or because of the choices that they've made those with a prison record, those who are claiming refugee status, those who are struggling with substance abuse, those who make particular lifestyle choices, or maybe those who make a lot of money and are really good at it, or those who hold political opinions different from ourselves. Within these requests, there is an implication of three categories of requests that, one, God would turn from his wrath and that, two, humanity would turn from their rebellion, and, three, that our society would be transformed. Now, some of you might be listening and following along and bristle at the idea that God expressing anger and wrath against sin and brokenness in this world seems to violate his character of love. The God of Scripture certainly does not express anger on a whim or unjustly, as we might do ourselves. So we have to be careful about imposing our incomplete understanding of anger and wrath based on our experience. If our conception of God doesn't include this aspect of God's character revealed in Scripture, then perhaps we are worshiping a God of our own imagination rather than the God who is revealed in Scripture. God is angry towards things that violate his intention of flourishing and peace for all humanity, and for all creation. And this changes how we present our prayers for peace in our, our world to God. They're not just wishes. Now, even though he probably didn't view it this, in the way that we might view prayer, John Lennon's iconic song, Imagine, is a prayer. But it's just one kind of prayer request when held up, especially to a prayer like this in Psalm 85. In John Lennon's song, he says, Imagine all the people living a life of peace. You might say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope one day you'll join us, and the world will be one. Now, this is a moving prayer for our world to be changed, for people to come together. But in light of this kind of prayer, it's missing the prayer for humanity to turn from its rebellion and self-sufficiency, and this prayer for God to turn his displeasure from us for that rebellion. I don't certainly fault John Lennon for not including something that he may not believe in. But I'm merely using these words to illustrate how our requests often don't penetrate the depths of our human longing and our human condition, illustrated by Psalm 85. Having recalled God's faithfulness in the past, and having presented our requests before God, we are invited to do something. We're invited to return to God's peace, to God's vision for shalom. In verse 8, the psalmist switches. You'll notice from first-person plural to first-person singular. The move from we to I signals a moment of personal reflection to attend to how God might answer having heard these requests. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. Amidst this honest acknowledgement of the brokenness of what is before us, the psalmist humbly postures himself before God. The psalmist says, though our people have turned from you, I am choosing this moment to return to you. I want to listen to you. I want to experience your peace for myself. I want to be a person that holds on to God, your promise for peace. This part of the prayer is a de- declaration of patience in watching for God to act on their prayer. It's also a signal of confidence that God will speak peace to his people, even though he doesn't quite, the psalmist doesn't quite see it yet. God will agree to the reconciliation that they have asked for. And little does the psalmist know that when he pens these words that God and that Israelites have been praying and Christians have been praying for... Oh, watch it. Israelites have been praying for generations, that God's promise of peace comes in a surprising way many generations later. Henry Nouwen writes about peace and how peace in our world begins with prayer. He says, Prayer is the beginning and the end, the source and the fruit, the core and the content the basis, and the goal of all peacemaking. He taught that when we pray, we enter into the presence of God, the God of peace, the one who disarms our hearts, who bestows on us this gift of peace. And when we pray, we posture ourselves in a place to return to God's vision of peace, to God's vision of blessing and flourishing for our lives and for the world around us. In the last half of this psalm, verse 10 and 11 are made up of a series of couplets imaging what God's promise of peace looks like when it's restored. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. These couplets form an image of union, an image of coming together and the fullness of God's blessing coming to the earth. God's love and faithfulness meet kiss rains down from heaven springs up from the earth in the midst of darkness and brokenness of our circumstances the psalmist sees a picture of god's goodness converging in our world in an unexpected manner in verse 9 the psalmist declares surely his salvation is nearer to those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land his glory may dwell in our land. We find out just how true these words are when Jesus arrives. Hosts from heaven, as we were playing the role of in the children's play, meet the shepherds who have gathered on a field to declare glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now often when we quote this, this verse or you hear it said, it ends at Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. And it just ends there, missing out that final text, part of the text that is in the original text. In the arrival of Jesus Christ, God's glory comes to the earth in the form of a baby born to Joseph and Mary. And in this one life, we see how all of the character of God is revealed to the world. All the righteousness of God and all of the God's faithfulness meet. God's faithfulness and God's peace meet the world in this little child. In Christ, God's faithfulness comes, salvation comes, and in Christ, all things in creation begin to be restored. So the way to long for peace in this world is, in fact, an invitation to welcome the Prince of Peace into our hearts. We acknowledge humbly the difficult realities of our lives, and in our world that seems so contrary to God's plan for flourishing. When we realize that God's peace comes to us through someone, we can say honestly that reality is far from the ideal, but that doesn't overwhelm us. This psalm points us to this hope of Christ. And on this side of Christ's first arrival 2,000 years ago, we have an even clearer view of God's faithfulness to recall than what this psalmist had back then. God has been faithful to his promises to reveal his character and action in Jesus, the Christ child. And from that posture, we can present our longings before God with honesty and with confidence. We know that God has been faithful and that God will be faithful. As you come today, what's burdening you today? What stresses and worries of the world did you walk into the, through these doors this morning with that you've been trying to distract yourself from? These are all hints for our longing for God's peace to reign in our lives and in our world. Come and follow the example of this psalm and enter into a living relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen.
2: Sometimes it feels like a sermon was crafted just for me, and I suspect that that's true of many of you out there. And I'm going to uh, lead us now in a time of reflection and response to the sermon. So if you could all uh, close your eyes and be aware that prayers of lament are also acts of worship. So, if there is something that is troubling you, I'd ask you at this time to pray your own prayer of lament. And I will uh, prompt us to move on uh, to another element of reflection. And now I'd ask us to recall a time where God was faithful to us. And now as our confession, I'd ask you to pray that God would reveal to us areas of our life where we need to return to God, to remember God's faithfulness, and to seek restoration. Now, if you are able, please stand for the words of assurance. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. God is asking us to return and be restored. And through Christ, we can experience peace, a peace that passes understanding. And the hope that god comes to make all things right let's sing our praise to god praise god from whom all blessings flow seated.
3: Jesus, we are forgiven, and we're covered by his righteousness. So it's our tradition here at WCF to invite all who are turning away from rebellion and self-sufficiency and pride and turning toward Jesus, we invite you to come to this table. We are here because of God's great love and mercy offered to everyone. sides of the sanctuary. Also, we'll have a healing prayer team. scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. you drink this cup, remember me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember and we proclaim Christ's atoning death until he comes to us again. Please pray with me. Lord God, one another as we take together of the bread and the cup. We do this in grateful remembrance of Christ's loving, saving work on the cross, knowing that we can put our trust in you, a holy God who loves us enough to live and die for us. And as Jesus taught his disciples, we also pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses.
0: Before we uh, conclude the service,
1: I wanted to draw your attention to a few things. First of all, um, we are doing a Christmas candlelight service for the first time uh, here at WCF in a, long, uh, in a while. And so there's a couple of extra postcards. There's a bunch going out to the neighborhood here to let people know. And so uh, if you know some people that would benefit from being aware of that, just take a couple as you go uh, from the back there. Also, uh, yeah, it's going to be a candlelight service, family-friendly. Kids will be in the service together. It's about an hour we've planned for we'll do some scriptures and carols together uh, just a meaningful time for your family to forge a tradition of remembering christ's arrival also as you go you'll probably see there's lots of stuff in the fellowship hall lobby please stop by there we're doing a christmas craft market uh the genie and katie keister are uh doing two separate organizations that are going towards great causes so pick up some great christmas gifts that support people in need and Lastly, we have a congregational meeting right after the service, so stay behind. Uh, If you're a member, if you'd like to just find out what's going on, you're welcome to stay, and uh, we'll just be approving the budget and uh, affirming the leaders for the coming year. If you can, please stand as you hear these words of blessing as you go from this place today. May God bless you and keep you. May the very face of God shine on you and be gracious to you. May God's presence embrace you and give you his flourishing, unending peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.
3: To stay here, um, we'll have the elders... Can you not hear me? Okay. I need everybody who's a member to stay here. Anybody else, if you'd like to, you can leave. But members need to stand up or raise your hand so that they can be given a ballot. So I am opening the congregational meeting officially right now. Mim, who else is distributing ballots? It looks like Albert, maybe? Carol? Okay. So, and Rob over here. There's Phyllis and Kevin. So once you have your ballot, please fill that out and send them back down toward the middle. Send them out, not toward the middle. Does anybody else? Kurt Thompson, Brad Keister? Kendrick still needs a ballot, (laughs) and we've got people way in the back over there who need ballots. We will get everyone to have a ballot soon. Troy? Okay, anyone else who needs a ballot? It looks like we're good. Okay, again, when you're done filling that out, pass them to people on the far sides of your pews. Or just to the people raising their hands. OK, so hopefully can need a few more minutes. Okay, if you still need a few more minutes, you can go ahead and finish yours. I'm going to close the congregational meeting and let you all go to enjoy your day. Thank you.